Guys, if you turn in your, um, either your Bibles, the church Bibles, your own Bible, or the black books that we gave out over the last couple of weeks. I'm sorry we've run out. I will get some more for anyone that hasn't got one of those books of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Um, but we're going to be looking at chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. Can someone shout out a page number in the church Bibles if people are there? One, sorry? 1186. In the blue ones. I was just thinking um, this week, I've probably listened to, I'm going to say about 3,000 sermons in my life. So I grew up going to church from like the age of zero. And so I've heard a lot of sermons in my time. I came to faith when I came back from university in my early 20s. Um, and so even since I've come to faith, I've probably listened to several thousand or a thousand or more sermons. And I think I can remember three I'll be honest with you, I think I can remember three sermons, all preached by Andy Vaughan. Um, no, um, and, and so we are a forgetful people, aren't we? We are a forgetful people. And so when we come to the Word, quite often we will, we will come and we'll be saying a similar message or the same message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to be preaching every week is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God has made a way back for us to be in relationship with him. And so if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear the gospel. Jesus loves you. This I know because the Bible tells me so. And we want to preach grace. We don't want to come here and add a burden to you. And so as I preach today, there is a challenge for us. There is a challenge for us, but I want you to hear how it's supposed to be, which is grace. We're all sinners saved by grace, and we need the Lord's help to grow. And I don't want to stay where I am. That's my prayer for us as a church. I don't want to stay where we are because the Lord wants to grow us and make us more like his son Jesus, doesn't he? And so as we come to the word now, we don't have particularly long, and that's fine. We will, we will have a short time looking at um, scripture together. But I want us to feel that we're fed. And so it's important that we come. And when we come, we come hungry. Like we want to have a meal, don't we? We want to, we want to we go away having been challenged by something, something we can chew over. And quite often I know that in the past, if I'm being honest, there's times where I haven't engaged. I haven't always listened all the way through. And it's hard, isn't it? Like listening to someone speak for so long, especially listening to me. Um, but just it's, that's why it's important to take notes. Even if you just take one nugget, something for you today, being worthwhile that the Lord maybe wants to speak to you about. And so that's my prayer. There's just one thing today that the Lord wants to speak to you about. Jot it down. And then just to encourage you, don't forget about it. Think about it this week. Dwell upon it. Feast on it some more. I was going to say it's a bit like regurgitation. You don't really want to do it. But anyway, you get, the, you, get the, you get the picture, hopefully. Or not a very nice picture. But anyway, let's turn to me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verses 1 to 12. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. 
We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Amen. Father God, I pray that as we come to your word now, that we would humbly place ourselves underneath it and that we would expect you to talk to us through your spirit. Lord, I pray against any, um, uh, anything that's going on at the moment that's maybe distracting us or even help making us find it hard to hear the words from your word, Lord. Maybe there's some sin that we've just not dealt with. We know that the good news is that it has been paid for. And we just need to come to you humbly and ask for your forgiveness. And we are forgiven. So anyone who's sitting here today who's thinking they've done something or said something or thought something that, that is separating them from you or being able just to engage or focus on you, Lord, I pray that they would know right at this moment it is forgiven. You came for everybody that's in this room, sinners in need of a saviour. And Lord, I pray that we would just enjoy um, how you teach us and how you speak to us through your word each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So keep um, your Bibles open, keep your books open, please, and feel free to be making notes as you like. And there we go, where's my sermon? There we go, great. So one of the main reasons people do not say, will say that they don't follow Jesus or don't want to, aren't attracted to it, is because of Christians. They say Christians are the worst advertisement for Christianity, and I think that's true. It's right. I am one, and I am definitely not the best advertisement for one. And we see it's true throughout history, isn't it? Infighting, injustices, not acting like the people of God like we should do. When people see belief in something and a life that doesn't marry up with it, what do they call us? Hypocrites. And of course, we're not perfect. And that is the gospel. We are not perfect, and we need a savior. And we are not to be perfect. We're desiring to be. The Holy Spirit is in us, changing us and, and making us more and more like his son Jesus. And yet, we are not perfect. And so we are, at times, a bad advertisement for Christianity. But Jesus came to save us from our sin, from our imperfections, from our bad thoughts, our bad deeds. And he paid the cost on the cross through his son Jesus Christ. 
He lays down, he laid down his life for you and for me so that we have freedom now. Freedom to follow him and pursue him with all our hearts. And when we get it wrong, what is there? Forgiveness. We do not have to be perfect. But even throughout history, the, the God's people, Israel, at the time, they, they were not a great representation of being God's people, were they? You read the whole of the Old Testament and what happens? They're not the greatest advertisement for being God's people. The na- some of the nations that were, the heathen nations were even be- doing a better job <laughs> than they were of following the Lord, the Lord God's. The Pharisees, religious leaders who would preach one thing and then practice a very different thing, hypocrites. And I think for Christians today who seek to live an authentic life, who follow Jesus with all their hearts, with the Holy Spirit's help, what we then face is persecution for that. People saying, um, uh, looking at our character, oh, doesn't follow Jesus very well in that area, does he? Look at that. And it's exactly what Paul was facing at this time. He he was experiencing being told by the pagan worshippers who were getting to the Christians that had come to faith, basically saying, he's left you. He's left you on your own. He's done a runner. And he lasted three weeks with you. He doesn't care for you. How can he love you? If he's done a runner, how does he love you? And so Paul spends this chapter basically saying, giving a kind of a, an, a, an apologetic for why he is an authentic follower of Jesus. Look at my life, he says. He opens his life up and says, look at my life. I'm going to tell you about it. You can look at every single bit of it. And the false teachers that are saying something false against me and, and, and pressing my character and saying that I'm not who I say I am, look at my life. Look at my life. And it's a real testament, isn't it? Even for us as Christians, how much would we invite people in to say, come and look at my life. Look at every area of my life. See that I'm following Jesus in it. And there will be many a hole in that. But I don't know about you, I want to be following Jesus more and more in areas of my life where I've not submitted them fully over to Christ. I want people to be able to look in my life and say, hey, I see this in your life, Dan. What would Jesus talk to you about in that area of life? How would he want you to be in that area of life? That's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want for us as well. And so... I've got, I did some prayers last, like I did, my points were prayers, and we did the same. I quite enjoy doing a prayer for a point. And so we've just got three prayers that I want us to pray for one another and ourselves this week that we see from Paul showing, look, I am authentic. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm doing everything I can to encourage you to do the same. Look at my life. And this is the first one. Lord, please grow my courage. So please grow courage in me to share my faith even when it's hard. Please grow courage in me to share my faith even when it's hard. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. The gospel had come on with power onto these believers. They'd received the Holy Spirit. They'd received the gospel with power. And even through suffering, they were joyful. Genuine. He said, Paul said, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. We know that they'd been imprisoned. They'd been beaten. He'd had his Roman citizenship ignored. He'd been mocked. He'd been run out of town. 
And as you know, but, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. We dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong um, opposition. We dared to tell you about Jesus. It was more important than facing danger. We, we needed to tell you about Jesus. You need to hear about Jesus and the life that he gives you. You see, Paul knew more than anyone that he needed courage. He needed courage to share his faith. He knew that as a minister of the gospel, he was to share his faith with other people. Everybody who believes in Jesus is to share their faith with other people. Courage. You just think he left Philippi after being beaten in prison. He's turning up to Thessalonica thinking, is the same going to happen to me here? Yeah, pretty much. He turns up in Ephesus, and what happens? A huge mob an angry mob, thousands of people vying for him, wanting him, wanting him out. And he was going to run into the mob and say, and preach the gospel. And yet his friend said, well, <laughs> steady on. Let's think the long game here, Paul. When he began, to, and, and often when I look at Paul, and we look at Paul's life, we think, man, he was a man of courage. Well, how was he a man of courage? But I think when you drill a little bit deeper, you can see that actually Paul was a little bit more like you and me than we care to think sometimes. He writes to um, the Corinthians in his first letter to them. He says, I came and preached with much fear and trembling. He's basically saying, I I was intimidated by coming to Corinth and and preaching. He was intimidated. He was nervous. He says that when he was in Ephesus, when he writes to the Corinthians in his second letter, when he, he said when he was in Ephesus, there were fightings without and fears within. He wasn't naturally courageous. The power of the Holy Spirit was in him. It was a grace of God that he'd received by the power of the Holy Spirit. We think if we're going to be people that follow Jesus, there is a call for us to share our faith. It's not always easy. But there is a call for us to to share our faith with others. And that takes courage. It takes lots of courage, doesn't it? And I'll be honest with you, by nature, I'm a devout coward. And you may have heard this story before, but this must have been about 10 years ago. One of my neighbors I'd been trying to reach, say reach. He was my neighbor, and I knew I should share the gospel with him, but I hadn't. I tried to get to know him. I hadn't really done a very good, good job at that. And then I finally arranged the meeting for a drink. His name was Matt. It is Matt, he's still alive. <laughs> so we went for a drink in Wild Green, and just the day before, I was getting really nervous about it, because I thought my intention was I need to, sh- I want, I need to share my faith. I-, I should share my faith. I need to share my faith. And so I phoned up Terry Wilbanks from Second City, some of you may know, who is an evangelist and a Texan, and that combination is lethal when you're <laughs> going to tell people about Jesus, and brilliant. So I phoned him up and I said, Terry, help me out. How do I take a conversation towards Jesus? How do I do that? And he said, look, I'll come with you. I'll I'll do it with you. I'll come with you for a drink. I was like, brilliant. Thank you, Terry. So Matt had gone to get a drink. Terry walks in, comes over to the table, says, Dan, where is he? I said, oh, he's just just coming over with the drinks. I said, I'm really nervous. Like, I know I I want to share my faith, but I I just don't know how to do it. At that time, Matt comes back with the drinks. Terry turns around to him and says, hi, Matt. My name's Terry. What do you think about Jesus? And I was like, oh, it's that simple. (laughs) Now, some people are natural evangelists. Some people are introverts. And I'm actually a bit of an introvert, if I'm honest. But God uses us, whether we're an introvert or an extrovert, 
in some way to share his gospel. And that's hard, isn't it, sometimes? Sometimes we think, that's for, the, that's for those who are a little bit more outward going than me. But actually, some of the most powerful gospel shares have been from people that have been maybe a bit shyer, a bit more insular. But when they have shared something of their faith, it's been so powerful. So just to encourage you, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all have this opportunity to share the gospel, but we need courage. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us do that. How often do I start my day by saying, Holy Spirit, give me the courage to share something of your good news with somebody today. And I confess, I find it really hard with my sister, one of the closest people to me. And often it's the closest people to us that we find the most difficult sometimes to share our faith with. Now, I see my sister maybe four or five times a year, and every time there's this, I know I should, and then there's this pulling back and retracting. But what's the, the consequences could be so great if she doesn't take it well. So I'd appreciate prayer in that. But how often do I pray, Holy Spirit, help me as I go and spend some time with my sister. Help me just have the boldness to pluck up the courage. Give me the courage to be able to say something. Let her take the conversation there, Lord. See, this is the best news in the world that we have. We have the greatest news in the world. Rico Tice says on the Christianity Explored course, he says, if you don't think this is the best news ever, then you probably haven't understood it. And I think, do we understand that this is the best news ever? When Nikki told me that she was pregnant with Eben, did I react like this? That's good for you. Well done. Or did I jump up and down, whoop, shout, and scream, cry? <laughs> I'm going to get emotional now thinking about it. But, but sometimes my reaction to the gospel, because we've heard it thousands upon thousands of time, can just become something that we know for rote. And we've got to, it's got to stay fresh, hasn't it? And I think a, day, a life of daily repentance and faith, bringing before our needs to the Lord, our, our sins before him, reminds us just how good news that gospel is, how great it is. Now, I suppose if... Nikki told me that she's having baby number 350. Maybe I would be a little bit more like, oh, great, another one. But that's not going to happen, just to share. So, Lord, please grow courage in me to share my faith even when it's hard. And maybe just on your books, just writing one name down that you know that you need the Lord to help give you courage to share something of the good news of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're going to stand there in front of them and spout the whole gospel off, but there might be something you're able to share. Who's that one person this week that you just want to pray for? You might have an opportunity to share with. And in the face even of opposition, as you might go to your workplace, where it's a bit of an atmosphere, a bit like it is in Ephesus, where you can't, you can't really do that, not easily. Give the Lord ask for wisdom for how you can do that. Maybe it's in your home, within your family, extended family. Ask for wisdom and ask for courage. Lord, please grow courage in me to share my faith, even when it's hard. And secondly, Lord, please grow pure motives in me to share my faith with gentleness. As I look back at my motives for why I was sharing with Matt, my neighbor, 
I think in part I felt this is the thing I should be doing. I've heard it and I know I should be doing this, so I must do it. And maybe you're hearing the sermon and thinking, it's feeling a little bit like another burden you're putting on me, Dan. I've got to do this, and I feel, I'd feel bad about it now if I'm not doing it. But I don't want you to hear that, because I want us to be so excited about the gospel in our own lives, so we've got to preach it to ourselves first before we can preach it to others. And we've got to do that every single day. We've got to preach it to each other. That's why it's great to come together and gather on a Sunday, isn't it? Because we get an opportunity in the times of chatting, in between the start and at the end of our gatherings, Maybe just sharing a little bit of vulnerability with someone and just saying, please speak the gospel to me in this situation. Have you got somebody that does that to you, that is willing to say that to you? When you bring an issue or a problem, someone who's willing to say, let me, bring, let me pray for you in that. So at the end of our time, but hopefully, we'll see, oh, maybe not. But it'd be great if we could pray for one another. Grab someone and pray. But... Sorry, I've gone off on one there. But he says here for, in verse 3, for this appeal we make does not spring from error. So it's true. This is not a mistake. This is true. Paul's got the truth. Or impure motives. Not wrong motives going on. I'm not trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. His motive is to please God, not man. And sometimes my motive... For doing some, in fact, let me correct that. My motive for not doing something or maybe not sharing the gospel is because of fear of man, not to please God. Fear of man, oh my word. How much time do I spend worrying about what other people think? But Paul, what he cares about is God, pleasing him. And just to, I know Andy shared it earlier, but Sue's birthday last night, it was beautiful because the whole evening was bringing glory to God. Look at what God's done in my life over these past number of years. Look at him, look what he's done. It wasn't to please man, it was to please God. Rejoicing in what he's done. And sharing that with believers and unbelievers that were there as well. And what, what a gospel example that is. So, interesting what he says here. He also says that um, he is approved, an approved worker that's been entrusted with the gospel. And so when we look at the word approved, that means to be tested for the purpose of determining genuineness. Oh my word, that's a lot of syllables. I'll say that again. Approved is being tested for the purpose of determining genuineness. So for example, when you're trying to test for gold in ore, you cannot say whether that is gold in a piece of ore unless you test it first. You can't test the quality of it unless it's tested first. It's only after the test do you know whether it is gold and what? Pure gold. How good it is. So Paul's claiming that he's been tested by God and he's been given approval for his mission. He's been tested. Search my heart, lords. Search my heart. What's my motive for going and planting these churches? What's my motive for letting myself be imprisoned and doing all these things? What, what is my motive behind doing it? Is it pure? Is it right? Or is it for myself, selfish ambition? And Paul has been found to be tested as genuine because he's approved. And I think sometimes my... I don't ask the Lord to test my heart enough. 
Why am I doing this thing? Am I doing it because I have to? Am I going for a drink with Matt because I have to? I feel I have to, and I feel I have to say certain things, or is it because I've got to tell him about Jesus? I know he needs to know about Jesus. And he's been entrusted with it. And that's like when someone invests some money, you give it to a financial advisor who invests it on your behalf, you expect to get a financial return from that investment, don't you? Paul took his ministry seriously. He'd been given, entrusted with the gospel, and he'd invested it wisely and was getting a return, fruit for that gift that he'd been given by God. I want to hopefully encourage us. First of all, Lord, check our hearts. I want to be an approved worker for you. I want that certificate. When I finished my PGC, I got a certificate saying that you're an approved teacher. You can work with children. Tick. Brilliant. Lord, search my heart. I want to be an approved worker for you and not do this for selfish ambition or vain conceit. I want to do it for you. But you've entrusted me with this absolutely beautiful message. How am I investing it? What am I investing it in? Am I investing it in myself, growing more and learning more of his gospel? Am I investing it in others? Sharing it with others. That's how Paul said, look at my life. I'm an approved worker. I'm entrusted with the gospel. You can look at my life. Look at any area of my life. God has searched my heart. You can search it. And it's pure. I want my heart to be pure. Lord, please grow pure motives in me to share my faith with gentleness. Gentleness. And finally... Lord, please grow a genuine love in me for others willing to share my whole life. I think um, Grant shared this a couple of weeks ago, that the thing that stood out to him when we read through the whole letter was verse 8. So we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. How do people know we, are, we genuinely love them? If we're willing to share the good news that we have entrusted to us, but then we've got to back it up with our lives as well, or sharing our lives with people. We can share the gospel and run off, or we can share the gospel and we can open up our lives, invite people into our lives to say, come and see how that's lived out in my life. Not perfectly, but come and let me walk alongside you. Why? Because it's exactly what God the Father's done for us, isn't it? Jesus died for you and for me, paid the greatest cost that we could never pay, doesn't give us what we deserve, instead gives us eternal life and the gift of the Holy Spirit in the here and now. He has given us absolutely everything, and he wants us to share that with others, in word and in deed, Word and deed. Um, something I was reading this week said this, there is no more profound way to express your sincere love than by your willingness to share your life with another. There is no more profound way to express your sincere love than by your willingness to share your life with somebody. It's a big ask, isn't it? Are we willing to open up our lives and share it with other people? Well, how can we do this? Well, I think it starts by us practicing within the church. Start with 
fellow believers first, those that are part of the church here. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Can we show, how are we showing genuine love for one another? And that love we looked at a couple of weeks ago was that, last week was laboring love, a love to the point of weariness, sweating, because sometimes it's hard to love one another. I'm sure you'll find it hard to love me sometimes. But how will other people know that we're genuine? By how we love one another first and foremost, and then how we love them. So how do we do that? And just a few practical ways. I hope this is helpful. <laughs> Thanks, Noah. Amen. Hospitality. Hospitality is a big one. Bringing somebody into your home shows a level of care, doesn't it? I'm willing to have you in my house. I'm willing for you to see my house and how I live. Who do you invite for lunch? Is it your closest friends all the time? Or is it a whole wide variety of people from different nations, from different backgrounds? Do we open up our homes to everybody, or is it just the same people? Lunch on a Sunday is a wonderful way, the end of a gathering. Our goal is that nobody goes home who's, who's newish to the church that doesn't get asked by about three people to come for lunch. Hopefully that's been your experience. I think I know a number of people have said, yes, sorry, I can't come over for lunch today. Three other people have already invited me. It's beautiful, but that happened to me when I started at City Church about 17 years ago in Birmingham. I went as a, as a newish Christian, needed to go to a new church, a church that taught the Bible well. And when I got there, I sat there, I was shaking, I was so nervous because 300 people there. At the end of the gathering, I was like, if no one comes up to me in five minutes, I'm going. I'm not coming back here. And no joke, within five minutes, a guy called David Shaw came up to me and said, Dan, oh, well, he asked my name, then said, Dan, um, I'd love you to come over for dinner. And I've got some friends coming. Would you like to do that? I went for dinner. This is brilliant. And for that moment, I stayed at that church for five years until this place started because of the welcome and the hospitality I was shown by another believer, friends that I've kept. But also, this extends to outside of the family, to outside the family of God. Jesus ate with the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed. Do we welcome, our, do we welcome people into our homes from that background? Obviously, we have to have wisdom in that. But are we willing to open up our homes to people that maybe are different to us? For the good of the gospel, to share the gospel and to share our lives with them. Hospitality is, is a wonderful way, but also time. Time is so precious. I would say it's the most expensive commodity that we have, isn't it, our time? And to give someone your undivided attention for that time shows a willingness to share your life with somebody. I think it's amazing that, you know, Paul planted so many churches. He was always writing letters and yet, and training people and preaching. And yet he says this in verse 8, they're precious to him. This church in Thessalonica that he'd spent three weeks with, they're precious to him. You may know people that are just incredibly gifted. When you're with them, they may be the most popular, most sought-after person in the world, but when you're with them for that hour, no one else matters. They just focus on you and give you your undivided attention and time. We love people like that, don't we? You just feel so important. Who could we do that for this week? Who could we show that level of love, that they are the most important person to us at that time, to show them that love? Who could we give time to? then I think it goes further than that. Help 
and sacrifice? Are we willing to meet the needs of people? Are we willing to put ourselves out and sacrifice ourselves because their needs are more important than my needs? Am I willing to share my time, my money, my energy and sacrifice stuff for them, for others? Paul says he poured, um, he poured his life into them, but he did not expect anything in return, basically. He wasn't there for greed. He wasn't there for his own sake. He was there for others, not his own comfort. And then finally, can we be real? Are we willing to be vulnerable? Often, sometimes when we're tempted to have people over into our houses, it's, let's make the house look absolutely perfect, like it's not a bombsite no, the rest of the time. Let's make sure that it's a three-course meal. And let's make sure that the kids sit and are quiet and they behave and, 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 and say prayer at the start of, uh, of the meal. Anyone go, I'm guilty of that? Definitely. It's best to be real. Pretending and showing people that we're sharing our life with that life is perfect and brilliant is actually not very loving to them at all. It's showing that we've got it all sorted and, and the reason they need Jesus so their life can get sorted and look a little bit more like mine. But actually, a bit of vulnerability, a bit of honesty. You know what? I mean... Not, we haven't had an argument today, but at times we've had arguments before people have come over. I think I've shared that story before. And, and we're like, right, put a pin in it and we'll talk about it. And once they've gone, we'll, put a, we'll talk about it then. And then what happens? Pent up anger and frustration. Or do we deal with that argument in front of people and just say, hey, we just had a little bit of a disagreement. Can you help us through this? People knowing that we are genuine, we are real, we, we have real lives, we disagree at times. You may not choose to share your heart and life with the people you serve because you expect them to do something for you. Instead, you, share, you should share your heart and life with those you serve because you want to make their lives better. Whose life do we want to make better this week? With the good news of Jesus Christ and opening our lives Give them time, care, sacrifice, being real with them. I think I might leave it there. I will leave it there. Yes, I will. Apart from one last thing I'm going to say. <laughs> I read this as well. It said, you will only be as authentic with others in public as you are in your relationship with God in private. Let me say that again. It's not on the screen, it should be. <laughs> is it? Oh, it is on the screen, brilliant. You will only be as authentic with others in public as you are in your relationship with God in private. We won't be able to love others in those ways unless we are pouring into our relationship with God in our own time. Out of our love for him, we'll quell this love for others. How can you, this week, how do you or could you increasingly share your life with people in your church or those you are seeking to reach? How could you do that this week? Because how we act matters and what we do matters. And let's not be hearers but doers of the word. Well, let's be hearers and doers of the word. 
Let's not just be hearers, but doers of the word. There's a practical application for us. Is there someone that God has put on your heart to share your life with? Is there anyone that you're thinking, do you know what? I've kept them at arm's length because they're a little bit harder to love, but actually, I think the Lord's prompting me to bring them into my life a little bit more. And we'll leave it at that, I think, if that's okay today. Let me just pray for us. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything. You have shared everything with us. No hold bar. There's nothing that we do, do not have access to. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are authentic and genuine in our love for you, so much so that we would um, open our lives. Not only would we be delighted to share the gospel with people, but our lives as well. Even the parts that we, we find hard to open up to others, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in us to open our, open, up our, open our hearts so that we open up our lives to others. What a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to, to be on your mission and to love and care for everybody else. And Lord, maybe at the moment we're feeling, like I don't have capacity and I'm, and I'm finding it hard to do that. Lord, give us a wisdom and a knowledge of things that we can lay down, things that keep us too busy to be available for others. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a quote right towards the end. So, just as I was thinking about this earlier, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians just, just says this about, um, you know, when we come to, to take the, the body of Christ and, and, and his blood in the form of bread, and it's going to be juice here. Um, and he just gives this, this kind of little, little um, what he received uh, in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And as I was looking at that um, earlier, I just was struck in verse 24, it says, on the night he was betrayed, that night, that's when he did this. Um, and we might be quick to go, yeah, Judas, that wretched betrayer, betrayed Jesus. Um, and then I was just reflecting, this week I've betrayed Jesus. I've not shown my love for him or been as faithful to him as I would have liked. And, and that is the beauty of, of this, that, that I, can, I can let that go. And so a bit further on in that passage, he says, before we come to it, um, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. So just, I'm going to ask Nikki just to keep playing quietly and we'll have a few quiet moments to do that. You'll only be as authentic with others in public as you are with your relationship with God. So what are the things, Holy Spirit, show each of us what are the things that we just need to examine in ourselves and confess before you? And then as we come to take this picture of what you have done for us, your body and your blood of the new covenant, um, we can come with great hope and great joy to that. But let's just take a moment to do that, to examine ourselves.